Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This podcast is sponsored by Small Farm University, the go-to resource for gardeners, homesteaders, and farmers around the world. Small Farm University delivers classes online and on demand with training on how to grow crops and how to grow a profitable farm business that serves you, your family, and your community well. Delivered by real farmers with hands-on experience and expertise, it's unique in its approach, using the RIPED method for growing and building a farm or farm business. SFU membership includes access to a private Facebook group and monthly live Q&A sessions where you can get your questions answered and find the support you need. To learn more, visit growingfarmers.com today. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Ryan Tansom, who is the founder of Arcona and the Intentional Growth Podcast. He teaches business owners how to view and run their company like a financial asset through the Intentional Growth Framework, Fractional CFO Services, and Strategic Planning. His mission is to help entrepreneurs enjoy their work, create wealth, and make an impact. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Michael, thanks for having me, my friend. And did I get the pronunciations mostly correct? You nailed it. You got it, man. All right. So you said there was a story behind the name of your business. <laughs> let's uh, let's dive into that real quick. Oh, it's so nuanced. But okay, so we were trying to uh, come up with the name of our business that we were incorporating in like 2018. And I had like bought, Michael, like probably 70 domains and okay. trying to figure out what we were going to be calling the company. And so I couldn't find then I couldn't find any domains that that made any sense. And I call I was talking to this IP attorney and the guy just laughed at me like I was like trying to name a company. He's like, good luck, man. Yeah. So then I was like, so apparently you can't find a domain that's, you know, going to be purchasable and you can't name anything because IP rights. And so then we started Googling cool landscapes in the world and Cape Arcona in Canada came up. And Arcona.io was $19 and no one knew what it meant. And so it meant that we could start fresh and create our own brand. And that's what we bucks. did. <laughs> 19 bucks. However, there's a woman death metal rock singer who is named Arcona that I found out. <laughs> that, Afterwards. Yeah, she's got quite the following. And so we always joke around that we're going to have her at uh, one of our company meetings at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So that was so totally worthless of a conversation. But uh, yes, we don't take ourselves yeah. too seriously, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the name of our farm or current farm is um, it's we, we're on Central Avenue. So we're like, well, the farm on Central is the, is the easiest thing to name it. <laughs> I mean, we did not want to name it after myself um, because like our nope. last farm was Kilpatrick Family Farm. And it did after a decade, it came to the point where we did want to sell it. Um, and like we didn't want to sell our name. So it made our business way less valuable. And so, again, you know, not that we have intentions of selling our current business, but we always wanted to give ourselves that out. Yeah, you get that option, right? And yes, uh, yes, that's yes. a great lead into the whole conversation. I love it. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's go ahead and dive into, um, give us a little bit about your background. You know, how did you get started in entrepreneurship? It actually, it was a family business. So probably like a lot of the listeners in, um, my dad actually started our family business back in the okay. early 90s. Uh, barely graduated high school, uh, went to 90 days in college. He said he ran out of beer money and- uh, Mortgaged our house, bought a quarter million dollars of old Panasonic copiers on 30-day terms and never looked back. 
scaled the company up to 21 million in revenue. I worked in another business my whole life, man. So, you know, selling copiers, moving things around, mm -hmm. you know, in and out of the business from cleaning to selling to whatever. Um, and then actually when I went to college, I, I did a bunch of my internships uh, through the, the business, Michael. And then mm -hmm. um, when I graduated in 09, the world was a dumpster fire for a lot of reasons that probably mm -hmm. people remember. And I got pulled back in by my dad's GM. My dad had been very distant for the company, Michael. And mm -hmm. he was, we had about 115 employees, 21 million in revenue, three locations. And I jump in, I swore in my grave, I'd never go work for him. I ended up doing it. It's kind of mm -hmm. the whole, I mean, a bunch of my friends uh, actually had family farms too, that the high school that, or the college that we went to. So they all went to back to family businesses. We got to talk a lot about this stuff yeah. and pull my dad back in and we're sitting in the, in the bank in the CPA meeting in 09. And uh, my dad had been very distant because he was going through a bunch of personal stuff, kept letting the GM run the business on his own. Okay. And bad idea. Uh, the guy did not have the skills or the same value alignment, a lot of challenges there. But my, in uh, December of 09, my dad was sitting in the bank in the CPA meeting. We found out that we lost 940 grand that year. So we had to turn the whole business around. So I spent almost six years replacing 60% of the employees, selling two branches for cash, building out a new uh, ERP and accounting system, and then building out managed IT services and software automation, rebranding, and turning the whole business around, honestly. Uh, no playbook, man. And it was all mm -hmm. out of sheer grit and hard work. And anyways, got to this point where my dad and I couldn't get alignment on what we wanted with the business long-term. He didn't, I mean, and I know this is probably a, a, an issue with a lot of the listeners too, is like, you know, as you're doing generational or you got partnerships mm -hmm. or whatever it is, mm -hmm. we had different alignment as like, he wanted more cash and didn't want to talk about the business. And I wanted to pile it all back in to grow. And I love mm -hmm. the business. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. And uh, it went through about a year and a half's worth of conversations. Couldn't get alignment, even though we brought in, in every suit and advisor you could think of yeah. sold the business in 2014. And, you know, I have a huge list, man, of things I would wish I would have done differently, but that's kind of like the uh, impetus of my yeah. story of like, been there, done that, lots of scars and bruises from it. And love, the list of, you know, wish I would have is huge, which is honestly why mm -hmm. I started the podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to kind of share that. And that's a lot of the reason why we started, we started our educational business and our podcast was kind of to share, you know, things we learned along the way. Now let's dive, I have a couple questions. So 20 million in selling just copiers and were you like a physical store that people would come into to buy copiers or were you selling online? That's a lot of money in copiers. Oh, dude. Right. <laughs> and like, we weren't even close to the biggest independent in the, uh, I'm in Minnesota here. So yeah. we would sell, my dad started it by selling copiers to other businesses. So I know based on probably our age, the fact that a copier used to be technology is kind of hilarious, but like literally the sales pitch was, we will double your company's productivity because <laughs> yes, we can yeah. we can duplicate on both sides and now it's color. Uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, they were, our, our logo was a rainbow color because to show that we could print color at one point. Um, yeah. But so we would sell copiers to other businesses and then we would service them. So we would actually, uh -huh. you know, toner, parts, all that kind of stuff. So on the 20 million, 21 million, you'd have a, a third that was new equipment sales, Michael. And then yep. a, a, the other two thirds that was service contracts and service revenue. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the kind of the metrics behind the business were, it's a, it was a sales industry, man. 400 phone calls, 15 appointments, eight net news. And then you would have five proposals and then three closes. And then you'd have 40 grand in revenue every single month with every single salesperson. And we could take a third of that revenue and guarantee it pretty much 
every single month. And this is before, man, like, I mean, I was starting to work on the online stuff and the online presence, but Mm -hmm. like it was before, like now with 22 salespeople, we probably could have chopped half of them in half and then Mm -hmm. done like online content marketing, like you and I are doing plus salespeople and account managers, but it was not there yet at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's very interesting. And I'm assuming that it got to the point that, cause I like, if you go to try to buy a big copier now, they don't really want to sell you one. They want to sell you basically some sort of rental or lease agreement because mm-hmm. they realize that's better money. And actually like a friend of mine, like walked me through for depending on the business, it actually may be better for the business to go with one of those programs of just outright buying these big expensive copiers. Oh yeah, for sure, man. I mean, like we don't have to get in the nuances, but like, honestly, out of all, I mean, there's, I'm trying to think of the industries I have not worked in mm-hmm. other than like, maybe like in-depth pharmaceuticals and some other like, right, you know, very yeah. obscure ones. But like the old industry that I came from was one of the most complicated operational businesses. Cause you would have, we sold equipment, like four different lines of equipment. Then what you would do, and actually, so like 99% of the people, Michael, don't buy copiers outright. And that's been mm. for like 30 years. Yeah. And you you lease them. And so like you lease them, sometimes it's a dollar out. Sometimes it's a fair market value, but it's kind of like renting. And then you would bundle in. So if it's $2,000 a month for your copiers, it's also including all the maintenance, the warranty, the consumables and all that stuff. So we'd have to like price all of that on a cost per copy, our whole operational business model. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's written and then it's funded and financed and you got labor, you got inventory parts, you got uh-huh. you know, people. All, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated deal. Uh-huh. All right. So you did that 2014, somewhere on there, you sold the business. What was next for you? I had no idea. I quit, okay. after, I quit after 60 days because I was sitting in a management meeting and I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I walked right into the CFO's office. I was like, I quit. Oh, oh when they bought, they, they yeah. basically bought you out and then you quit the next iteration. Uh, 60 days later. So when we, when they bought us, we had to fire uh, 60 out of our 90 employees. It was really hard, really hard day. Paid a lot of taxes, paid a lot of debt off. We owned our building. And this is how like, not to, I'll kind of just plant a seed, but like, um, our, regardless of the business, man, like operations and then stuff like real estate and buildings are separate assets. So we sold our operations. We had our building. And mm. then, so like, I literally, we had, we, I mean, they took our clients, right? Yeah. So like, that was what their goal was, but um, pretty much I quit because I wanted to figure out what the heck had happened to us. Like, it was like, we spent, I mean, I spent six years, my like every waking minute, blood, sweat, and tears and personal financials rolled right into that company. It was yeah. a successful eight figure sale, but like, I mean, so much we would have done differently. And I felt like we hadn't designed the exact outcome that I wanted. And it's like to slog away for 20 years to not have it be optimal was just not okay. So I, I immediately yeah. said, you know, for the first, first uh, kind of the cliff note version of the first three to five years is um, I got a bunch of licenses. Like I went in and got, I actually ended up doing money management for about 18 months and securities. And then like, tried to like, get the academics behind like what happened to me. And that's why yeah. I started the podcast and it's been a way better education, honestly. And then I started Arcona in 2018. So it was a lot of like consulting, flopping around, trying stuff. Mm-hmm. And it really landed on the education and services that we have now, probably similar to the path that you've been on. Mm-hmm. All right. So then let's move into Arcona. So what was, um, what was the thought process behind that? And what was, what does Arcona do? So the thought process behind it was that 
I had been working with and friends with entrepreneurs my whole life. That's all I've ever lived and breathed. And I always realized that entrepreneurs, whether it's, I mean, you name the industry, man, whether it's farming or whether it's professional services or online, I mean, people have a vision. Mm -hmm. They want some sort of freedom. They want to make an impact. They want to make some money, like all these things. And yet there's a lot of times that there's sticking points about us realizing that vision. And I was trying to figure out what was the sticking points. And then I kept asking people like, what's your goal? What's your goal? And then a lot of times it's revenue or it's some like, you know, acres farmed or it's units shipped or it's people employed or whatever it is. And it's, I'm like, well, I know that my dad and I had 115 employees. We had 21 million in revenue. And yeah. in 2009, we lost 940 grand. And if we would have sold the company, we would have owed the bank money. So who gives a crap about revenue? <laughs> and like, yeah. And I started realizing that people's goals were kind of bizarre or not effective as the end goal. So what I realized is like, hey, most of the people, and I was very ashamed and very kind of timid around like our journey. And then I realized that so many people go through this exit learning way more than they should have in the process. And one of the themes was, is this like, I think about the, an in, we, I, I wanted to change how people viewed the business, which is, hey, it's an asset, right? It's got cash flow mm -hmm. and it's an asset. And if we grow that asset, we can have more choices to do whatever the heck we want, but we have to understand how it's valued, how to grow that value and how to monetize it to actually better understand it as an asset. So I started uh, and we built out an educational program to that was my goal. Like mm -hmm. if you and run the company as an asset, do whatever you want with it. Right. So grow the value, monetize it, transition it, you know, get out of your role, whatever it means to you to be successful and have it be worth it. So it was an educational program based on five principles. And that truly helps people view and run the company as an asset to help them clarify their target valuation, how they want their income to be along the way, and then what they want their role. Like, so if you're running the company as like a CEO or GM, mm -hmm. If you want to back out of that and then keep the asset or whatever uh, you want um, as far as it relates to your role. So it was an, uh, an in-person boot camp for a couple of days teaching people how to do this. And then in COVID, we digitized it. So now we've had like 500 and some people go through the, mm -hmm. uh, the educational program. That led us to creating the uh, fractional CFO services and the financial dashboard because people kept looking at module four and grow value. Like how in the heck do you have your numbers organized that way? Because mm -hmm. it was clear of like you could they could see the story of the business michael and truly like at the simplest terms it's like michael if you have various farms various endeavors whatever they might be what if, if we're sitting here and it's may in may of 2024 what is your cash position in all of your companies going to be while paying your taxes mm -hmm. while taking the distribution that you want and knowing that you've got enough working capital, AKA cash left in the business that's tied to funding that future valuation. That's the guiding North star, man. Mm -hmm. So like that needs to be how we view all of our decision-making. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now talk through, cause I you said that you've got a five part framework. Um, do you want to walk through that? Sure. Sure, man. Yeah. So, all right. Like, you know, let, let's, this framework, Michael, this has a lot to do with how I like to think. So like, mm -hmm. you know, I was, I was terrible at school, man. <laughs> I, mean, I was the kid in school when people were like, here, read this. I'm like, why? Yeah. <laughs> and like just constantly asking why. And here's how I start my presentations. And, and this will lead into the, the five uh, principles. So I, I pull up this big, huge cabin on like Salt Lake. And I'm like, look at this thing. Who thinks I should buy it? 
it's like probably three, four million bucks. And I get this, oh, do it, do it. And I'm like, yeah. all right. What if I were to tell you, I forgot to mention that my twin daughters who are seven are rolling into 15 years of sports. I'm not going to have any time. Then should you do it? What now? What does everybody think? Oh yeah, still do it. And, you know, a couple of people are still doing that. And I'm like, what if I told you it's going to derail my retirement plan? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and then I get a couple of people still doing it. And I'm like, what if I told you my wife would divorce me if I bought the cabin because she hates cabins. And then I say, like, how is that any different than when we're sitting down with our entrepreneur friends going, should I buy that other building? Should I buy that company? Should I buy that plot of land? How about the new piece of equipment? Should I give the second generation equity Mm -hmm. or give them the president or should I hire an outside president? We have no context to our decisions because we don't have a clear goal that is truly pegged to what will make it worth it. So if Mm. we have just revenue or just net income or whatever it might be as the ultimate goal, all of those things that I threw out there could completely derail our plan. Like we can buy that other farm, buy the other company, buy the piece of machinery, launch launch that new product line or or offering, and it completely distract us or sideline us from our goal. And the goal should be a target equity valuation that makes it Mm -hmm. worth it. So- with that kind of context, there are five principles that help people. So if I were to ask you, Michael, hey, are you going to uh, promote the second generation family member to be CEO or are you going to hire an outside president? How well, about she go? What's that? Yeah. Seeing my my son is six. I think I have to wait a while. <laughs> yeah. Put it in the, put it in the trust, man, and let it run. Um, but uh, like the, or any decision. Yeah. The, the, no, the but first- you're absolutely right because there are so many directions you can go in any business. And I have seen businesses start up doing one thing and literally within a couple of years, they realize that that's not quite for them. And the business that started off with one name is doing something uh-huh. completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, or something seems really cool, man. Like I'm a visionary and like, I like to try new things, but like, I want to make sure that, that I'm staying on track to creating the wealth and having the fun that I want to make the impact. Right. Uh-huh. So it, it's having that North star to make the decisions uh, in front of you have context. So the five principles of the first one is your vision. What do you want out of the company long-term? What do you want out of your stakeholders? So your community, your employees, your clients, your vendors, like, what do you want for everybody? What, and what do you want for your role? Mm. in the business. Once you understand that, you can move on to principle two, which is what are the financial targets that'll make it worth it for you? And there are three of them. What's the target equity valuation that you want? What's the target annual income that you want, regardless of whether you own the business or not? And your outside net worth is just a decision-making framework because you know there are some people that we work with where like, and I know this is huge in the farming community, where like my friend who they, they farm like 5,000 plus acres down in Iowa. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of assets, but there's not a lot of cash, right? Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, yeah, that it, that net worth will impact how much cash that the family needs to monetize. But those three financial targets to give the context of the company as an asset, then we can move on to principle three, which are the exit options. Mm-hmm. And how can you monetize the asset? And how does it impact your role? So whether it's an employee owned company, or whether it's a, you know, it stays in the family, uh, family business that through estate planning or a strategic buyer, Every one of those exits will impact your role and when and how you get your money. So then you, that the, the principle th- uh, three exit options, Michael, should be g- viewed through a lens of the first two principles of what do you want and your financial targets. Mm-hmm. So once we have those three, uh, those three principles covered and in the definition of intentional growth, which we define as purposeful action mm-hmm. towards a clearly identified outcome. So those first three principles give us our clearly identified outcome. 
And then principle number four is we can grow value, which is growing the equity value of your asset through creating future sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow. So I'll say it again. So it's creating and growing the value of your or operations through creating future sustainable cash flow that increases the value because you've got context of what your all your decision making. And then principle number five is hire the team of advisors that can help you optimize that plan. So you don't have to be the technical expert in every domain like tax or legal or real estate mm-hmm. or equipment. So then you're you're kind of becoming and truly embodying that visionary you know, CEO guiding everybody based on your clear plan and the, you know, the very clear actions you have to take today. It's a whole, it's a whole point of a framework is where are we going? Are we on track or off track? Knowing that things will change, right? Life will change. The economy will change. And then you can throw that change into your decision-making to say, okay, how does this impact our goal and what we're doing right now? Mm -hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Um, And then with that, a fifth one, the board of, uh, or just the people around you, do you recommend that as like an outside consultant or a board of directors, or how do you recommend building that team? I'd say it's a, it's a combination of your business and your personal. So okay. as a, as a business owner, privately held business owner, we're, we're unique because we have a company that is a, an asset that, you know, like your CFO inside the business that can see the actual cash. Well, you got a bank that's doing fine. I mean, and it's everything's personal guaranteed. I mean, so like everything is cross pollinated back and forth, but you yeah. essentially have your business. And if I, the, so I've got this org chart that I show Michael, where it just kind of shows like this hierarchy of like, Hey, you got your tax, your legal, your real estate, your financing, your, um, what was some of the other uh, ones that I had, uh, insurance where you have personal and business. And the mm-hmm. way to get complete visibility into all these different domains. So that way, and I, dude, I went through this like for the last 15 years, I don't want to be the expert in all these domains, but I've kind of had to, because of kind of like healthcare, man, where like you go to a doctor and you ask for something, they're just going to give you whatever you ask for. Cause no one's holistic anymore. We're mm-hmm. like, we as mm-hmm. entrepreneurs need to be the one that are taking responsibility, but there are two people that can disproportionately help get visibility. One is the business CFO who can see inside the cash flow of all of the illiquid assets, whether it's real estate or operation or mm-hmm. identities. And then that CFO is then helping and work with the business CPA, the business attorney, the business bank, you know, any and the business insurance. So that way the entities are set up the right way. And then on the other side, you have on your personal, your wealth manager, which I know they're really difficult to come by to find someone that actually gets it and isn't just a a robot or doing something that's trying to slink products. Yeah. But but the, the, if you can find one that understands your business, your personal side, the way I think about it, Michael, is like, if, if I said to you, hey, what do you want your target equity valuation of all your entities to be in 2030? You're going to have a personal balance sheet that's going to include your personal investments, real estate, and your business equity mm-hmm. in real mm-hmm. estate. So it's one personal balance sheet in the future and then you're going to have streams of cash flow coming from various things, right? Mm-hmm. And they're coming to you and you're going to get K1s and you're going to have a tax return. And the question is, what do you put back? What cash flow do you put back in the various entities to grow equity value in the various buckets? And which, and how do you optimize the stream of cash flow and the equity growth? And then you wrap it around with like the estate planning, all that other stuff. But I'd say like, you know, there's a, the business and the personal side and somehow we all need as entrepreneurs clear visibility into our cash flow streams. And then where are they going to create what kind of equity growth in our portfolio? 
And what's the balance and the trade-offs of the reinvestment versus distributions and all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think you were talking going back to that when you were working on your family business, your dad just kind of wanted to cash out more, but you kind of want to kick it all back in because you want to keep growing the size of the business. Yeah, and the, there's a legal issue with that because what happens is, man, and I have hundreds and hundreds of partnerships I've worked through is let's say I was twice your age, Michael. Yeah. And I, w- I was your the first generation or something. It's like, well, if I want 500 grand a year, or let's say it's 50 grand, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And you w- don't need it. And you want to reinvest for growth. We're obligated legally to take distributions in proportion to our equity percentages. Mm. So and like, you couldn't say, well, I don't need the distributions if I want it. Cause like mm-hmm. you have to take it if I yeah. need it. So that's where most of this stuff breaks down is at the very highest level of goal setting, Michael, because it's yeah. like no one has identified their target equity valuation. Therefore, they don't know how much they should reinvest today versus not to a- accomplish a target they haven't identified. And then people bicker and argue about distributions because they don't know how they should reinvest because they don't know what the return is going to be. And you have people at different age, you know, ages, yeah. different risk tolerances, different needs and wants, and everybody just bickers because there's no clarity. Yeah. So how do you get a team on the same page? Figure out where you want to go and why. Okay. So there's got to be clear. And I'm assuming along the way, there might be some people that leave the bus. Yeah, man. Well, I bought out my partnership or I bought out my partner last year specifically because of this topic. And we used our own framework to facilitate the bio. Cause like, I mean, I'll just tell you, like he's almost three decades older than me. Got a couple more commas behind his net worth than me. And yeah. like, he didn't need to take the risks. He didn't need to deal with the growth and the speed that we were doing it at. And he, like, we were operationally starting to have challenges. And I said to him, I'm like, man, like, I'm not putting more money back in to keep funding the growth because we're growing so fast. I'd rather use our clients that are our, our prospects who want to work with us to fund the growth. And yeah. we were talking about different offerings. And he was like, well, I'm not because I want to stay in these offerings. And I said, okay, well, what else do we need to talk about then? Because, yeah. It's a funding issue. It's not like, I mean, I love the guy and he, I respect him, but it was like, he didn't want to do that because he didn't need the money and his yeah. goal was already met. So like we used our goal and our cash flow needs as a framework to discuss the operations and what we were willing to do, which made the buyout pretty obvious that it needed to happen instead yeah. of years of conflict, which I dealt with a decade plus ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you kind of already been through that. So you kind of knew like, okay, here's, here's where we're headed. This is what it looks like. We need to make sure stuff happens now. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, I'm sure people listening in can relate. We're like, whether you can see it clearly with data or it's a gut feeling, you know, whether you're getting further away from your goal or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, I'm either going to put this into data and say, okay, how far away am I and what's really happening by not making these decisions? Or am I just going to continue to have that feeling gnaw at me and my resentment build at the people around me because I'm not sure why, but I know that something's off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Small Farm University, the go-to resource for gardeners, homesteaders, and farmers around the world. 
Small Farm University delivers classes online and on demand with training on how to grow crops and how to grow a profitable farm business that serves you, your family, and your community well. Applying what you learn in SFU could save you thousands of hours and thousands of dollars. And it can save you the agony of costly mistakes some make just because they don't know what they don't know. Delivered by real farmers with hands-on experience and expertise, it is unique in its approach, using the ripened method for growing and building a farm or farm business. Here are a few highlights of what SFU has to offer in its growing library of resources. Find your perfect farm property. Whether you are renting or purchasing, this course guides you through vetting the farm property and determining how or if it suits your business needs. We give you the secret sauce for what makes a profitable farm property and help save you thousands of dollars. Start your farm intensive. Fleshing out your farm idea, craft your one-page business plan, and discover the right funding options for your business. Use our business templates, worksheets, and calculators to figure out the numbers as you go. Farmer's Market Success System. Learn how to attract and convert customers by building an unstoppable marketing and business system for your farmer's markets. Production Mastery Series. Learn all about growing, harvesting, and drying greens. Learn about tunnel building and take special classes such as brand new and very popular Elderberry Masterclass. We include real-life examples and calculators for figuring out fertility rates, how much money you are actually making, and where your profit is coming from. Business Systems and Marketing Courses. Learn about the SFU Ripen Formula for Success, develop your marketing plan, and join in for behind-the-scenes tours of real farm businesses. Learn the systems you need to run your business well and how to hire a team to help you. And learn how you can add value to what you produce to generate even more income with minimal additional time and expense. In addition, members of SFU get access to the Growing Farmer Summits on demand with over 100 sessions of targeted areas of interest to farmers. These annual online events have attracted over 100,000 people from around the world, and they are included in your SFU membership as a bonus. SFU membership includes access to a private member group, monthly group Q&A sessions, and even one-on-one coaching sessions where you can get your questions answered and find the support you need. To learn more, visit growingfarmers.com today. So what, what would you say to someone who like is in a family business, they feel like, you know, there's a lot of strife that, um, you know, things aren't like, aren't aligned. What, what kind of, a, what advice would you give them to, to start with? It's tough, man, because I've been through that literally four times with four different partnerships and it's so important to have everybody get clear on what they want what are their financial targets and the challenge that i've always had is asking i'm a fixer man that's why i built this business is i have to fix and it's the same thing like you know every spouse knows like i should just listen way more yeah (laughs) instead of fix and so it's the same principles michael we're like someone needs to like Whoever the family members are, lots of family members or, you know, some families, some not family is what the heck does everybody want from the business, from their role? Then what are everybody's financial outcomes that they need from cash flow and growth and equity and the timeline? And like how in God's name we can have any conversations without any of that first mm-hmm. is actually just hilarious. It's kind of like I, I attribute that the importance of getting to that clarity, kind of like health where like, if you came to me and said, I'm not feeling very good. I'm like, well, you haven't slept for five days. You're eating McDonald's for mm-hmm. every meal and you haven't worked out. I mean, like, of course you're not feeling that great, man. So like, yeah, my point is, is getting that clarity. And I think big, the biggest challenge that I ran into, which people can probably uh, relate to as well is 
I wasn't the one to, it didn't, didn't come off well. Like if I'm the one forcing my partner to think about this, it's probably being taken as a, uh, it's, it's not taking it as well as like some sort of realization on their own that they needed mm. to get to that clarity. Right. So there's, I guess I would say clarity and then whether it's an outside person, a book, a podcast or something, a training material, like what that person needs to do, they need to do some hard work to get clear on their goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's almost like something like everyone needs to like, you give a list of questions, go think about it, come back. We're going to have a meeting and work through it. hundred percent, man. In my favorite now, example. Oh, go for go it. Ahead. No, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say like, and people say, oh, that should be pretty easy. And we've got a bunch of these exercises in our academy. And like this engineer was like, oh, this is gonna be easy. I'm really good at this stuff. And he got to like question three out of 40. He's like, this is really hard. Because mm. <laughs> it, it's introspective work. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you got all your, like it, my favorite example too, is I, these are the probing questions that there was this guy, he had a, he had a second generation home residential painting business. And it was really he, he, big culture guy, big people guy. And I said, what if I'd handed you a bag of money for $20 million and then I shut down the whole company and then shut down the website and fired everybody? What would you do? His response was, mm. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> there's your answer is your grunt like unpack that what does that mean what do you actually want for everybody you know same thing with people like do you want to pass on the operations to your kids or not you know what I mean I mean I don't know no one can tell anybody that but they have to think through that because at some point there will be a decision tree and of course the the option is always die in the tractor or die in the corner office but like Mm -hmm. What kind of mess are you going to leave for everybody at that point? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so then with that too, um, I'm assuming like a lot of the transitions from one generation to the next is very hard. And that's the one of the biggest challenges right now with most conventional farms is that and we actually not too long ago had a, 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 actually two sisters on that were talking about looking to try to take over their parents' business and just the difference in vision. And oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's that, that biggest, I think that is a huge challenge right now that we're seeing is, you know, I know a farm in Pennsylvania that I don't know if they're still looking for, but for a decade, they were trying to find the right people to take it over. And, um, just very interesting. Yeah. Well, and let's, let's, let's unpack that because my, my, one of my best friends from college, truly like they fought 5,000 acres and they got, so he's, he's got four siblings, Mm. right? Is he the fourth generation? I can't remember. Um, I mean, how much land they have and how much yeah. stuff, like, I mean, they got like probably 50 to $75 million worth of stuff, like combines yeah. and the tractors and 17 semis and like yeah. all this stuff. So there's two issues here. And this is like, this is why I built the framework because I will never tell anybody what to do, man. I mean, I think everybody listening, if you're an entrepreneur, like you probably are taking the crazy risks, personal and financial to not be mm-hmm. told what to do. Right. So like, correct. Let's, yeah. Let's right, Correct. Exactly. I've eaten a lot of glass and a lot of pain. I've uh, been through a lot of pain just to do what I feel yeah. I should do. And so like, so like, let's take the, like my friend's example or, or these sisters where What's the vision? Like, what do you want from the farm? Is the farm going to be a sustainable farm or like, what's the goal of the farm? Right. I mean, yeah, I watched that, uh, um, 
White Oak Farms. Uh, yes, Will Harris. Yes, Will Harris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. The yeah. White Oak Farms. I'm like, man, I wish I could say it like that. But like, is it going to be a farm like that? Or are you going to stay the course? You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. So what's the vision for the company or the, the operation? So that's principle one. And then how do you want your role to be involved? So the way I think about this, Michael, is the two questions that are paramount for principle one. What do you want for all of the stakeholders and the vision of the company, regardless of who owns it? And regardless of who's running it, because those are two separate things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can own your farm and not be the employee. Mm-hmm. So like, that's why we have to know what do we want in specific detail for the future vision, regardless of who owns it and regardless who runs it. That's principle one. Then principle number two, what is the target equity valuation of the family that the, fa- the, own- the primary owners that need to monetize it? And then what's the cash flow that they need forever? And why mm-hmm. this is so important is because like my, my friends, like I know this is in the farming business and it's the same way with any illiquid asset, which is every business. Mm-hmm. There's not enough cash flow to facilitate all the buyouts and not every sibling can be on the cash flow payroll sometimes. They can't, mm-hmm. we can't afford it. So like my friends got all these siblings, someone's selling seed, someone's doing crop insurance. So I mean, you know what I mean? Like you go through and everybody's kind of in the supply chain somewhere, but yeah. one of the siblings is taking over the job of the dad of the main yeah. operational individual. Right. So then everybody else is kind of in the periphery, like helping out and all that kind of stuff. But so here's how I would separate this then is, so then we have who's going to be working in the business and why are going tied to what target vision, but then the estate plan should handle the operations and the the value of the operations and then the value of all the illiquid assets. Then you do the Mm -hmm. estate planning and shoring all that up. That's totally separate from the jobs. And I know in the farming community, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big deal in all industries, but like this kind of notion, if you have to work here to get any of the estate is it doesn't have to be that way. Mm. Yeah, the the wealth transfer happens separately, so you know, like we we have to, you know, we can't, we don't want to sell the family farm to pay for the taxes, right? So we need to deal with the estate planning and wealth transfer separately from the jobs. Then we can start getting alignment of how do we want the jobs to line up over the next five to ten years, and then how do we want the wealth and the cash flow to line up based on what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And so, I mean, one of the things I I hear a lot of business owners, I've I've talked to multiple business owners in our community. And their big thing as well. I don't want my kid to get it because he's just going to run it to the ground. Um, Let's unpack that. Could we do it for just yeah, one sec? Yeah, because so, I think that's a huge problem. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, like I, I know you were talking about the baby boomer transitions and stuff like that as some of the people that you're targeting to get into the industry. And that's like every industry, man. And I could get on a macroeconomic tangent for you in a second, but the that is a job function. And so I'm going to give a little bit of context on how I think about this. So for, for I've been at this now for almost nine years since we sold. And for years, well, people would call me because of the podcast. I mean, dozens of phone calls every week. Ryan, I want out. Yeah. <laughs> for so long, Michael, I'd try and solve their problem. Just like the cabin story I told you. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what they actually are trying to accomplish. Like, well, we should do this. And how about this strategy? And how about this? And I'm like, and then after a while, now I'm like, you don't know what you want out of. So now I ask, what do you want out of your job that you get a W-2 paycheck for or your financial asset? And Mm. then I say, well, you know what happens is I don't get a lot of people that call me up 
and go, Ryan, I'm really sick of my mailbox money of distributions from my company that someone else's runs while I sit on the beach in Florida. It's usually yeah. <laughs> Ryan, I want out of the supply chain issues and the, you know, the, the inconsistent weather of the different seasons and growing seasons and the commodity prices and you know, all that. Well, that is the roles and job function of the operations of an entity. Mm-hmm. So what do we want out of? So back to now the question of second generation will run it into the ground. Okay. Well, let's put first our ownership investor hat on. So the first question should be, so let's say Michael, you and I were brothers or something. Mm-hmm. All right. Does the family want to keep the farm operations and the land and the equipment in our portfolio as an investor? Do we, how do we feel about the future equity growth and cash flow of these assets as an investor based on the macroeconomic and all these different climate things? Okay, great. Well, we, let's say we feel really good about it. Now, how do we feel about the transition of our leadership roles? Well, second generation doesn't know how to tie their shoes without our help. Okay. Mm. Now, what do we do about that? Well, if we wanted to play the game of private equity, we hire someone else to mm-hmm. be the to be the CEO to run it so we can keep having equity growth and cash flow and distributions as an entire family. And then you go tell the kids to go sell seed or go crop insurance, or if they wanted to eventually become mm-hmm. into the operations, have them give a transition or a, a, a succession plan to become a job yeah. inside the operations. I mean, there's a lot of ways to handle, but I think it's this co- uh, conflating of ownership and leadership roles that people solve for their K1 and their cash flow each year instead of solving for equity growth and their various assets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, something that some folks might not understand, explain a little bit about equity, share a little bit yeah, about that, that principle and, and why that is so important. So I'll, I'll, yeah, absolutely. I'll take it from, I'm going to do three different layers here. So I'm going to start with just saying that it's about the valuing an operating entity, right? So like when I think about being an investor, investors invest in different asset classes, right? S&P 500, is, you know, you got mm-hmm. the bigger companies, the smaller companies. Well, private equity is an asset class. It's operations, right? So mm-hmm. you could be in egg, you could be in pharmaceuticals, you could be in retail, you could be in manufacturing, you could be in e-commerce. That's an asset class of private company mm-hmm. equity. So, but what ha- how that value is driven and how it actually has come to be is through taking the annual cash flow, which in my world is a lot of normalized EBITDA and real estate would be like net operating income. But mm-hmm. like you have the annual cash flow and you times it by a multiple, which is this number. Most people think this number is made up, but essentially if it's a multiple of three to five or whatever the range might be, three to 10, whatever it might be, is that it's effectively the number of years of cash flow that a buyer is willing to give someone based on the risk of the future cash flows. So yeah. if I gave you a three for your operations, a multiple of three on a million dollars in cash flow, that's a $3 million enterprise value. Gotcha. For some reason, I don't feel good about the story about the cash flow in years four and five, which is why I didn't give you a five. Mm-hmm. Right. But if someone gives you a five, it's more sustainable. And what happens is the million dollars times the three equals three million, but that's enterprise value. It doesn't take into consideration the debt people have. So when I say that my dad and I had a you know eight-figure enterprise valued company in 20 or 2009, we did. But we owed a crap ton of money to mm-hmm. debt and mm-hmm. to taxes. So who? I mean, it's like my house that's worth 
500 grand, if I owed 900 on it, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that's a problem. So the equity is just like I'm talking about with your house. So it factors in your debt. So that's mm -hmm. why I think it's important instead of just having the enterprise value of the operations as the main target, because you could hire a president, they could finance their way up to a huge enterprise value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just keep, but then the problem is you're very, very over leveraged. Exactly. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What would you say if you had to go back and do it all over again? What advice would, say, would you give? Say Corey and Ryan go take this stupid course called intentional growth so we can actually have a mature conversation and get to clarity behind all this stuff. Cause we, mm. <laughs> and I shouldn't have said stupid. I mean, like, it was just, I was so, like the conversations was the proverbial groundhog day conversation every week. He wanted mm -hmm. out. We didn't understand all the stuff we've talked about so far, Michael, we didn't have any of these, what I call quote unquote tools or like mm -hmm. re ways to talk about this stuff together. It would be, I want out. Okay. Well, I want to keep growing. Well, I don't want to reinvest. Well, I mean, it's just this, like this, yeah. this back and forth, but like, and I'd sit down and go like, I know there's gotta be a way to get us aligned, but like, for some reason there isn't because we didn't have the tools to talk about it. So it was just like, I mean, my dad and I are still best friends and talk all day. I mean, we work together still in mm -hmm. various fashions. So like, it wasn't like we hated each other. It was just like our timelines, our visions mm -hmm. and our financial needs were different, obviously, because yeah. we're different ages. Well, I mean, that was like my dad technically was the signer on the LLC when we first did it because um, I was too young. I was under 21. Uh -huh. So, um, and we just did not agree. And eventually the one day he just signed it over to me. <laughs> and again, he never really started the business to start the business. He started the business for me. Yeah, to and lift you up, which is awesome, yes. man. And, and yeah. well, if you yeah. think about, like, if you think about if the company would have gotten big enough, let's say you guys were 50-50 and you you wanted, like, and this happens actually, it's like a lot with the younger people. I mean, dude, I got twin daughters, right? Mm -hmm. I need more cash flow today to manage my life. Yeah. And as people are empty nesters, they want to reinvest for distribution or for uh, equity growth. Yes. So it's like, if you and your dad were still 50-50, you have to figure out the cash flow dis distributions first because it yeah. has to be done legally in the proportion to your ownership. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically, he was very conservative and cautious. And I was, hey, I wanted to go get some financing <laughs> and grow the business. And yeah. again, I love my dad and he signed it over to me and he just kind of let me do my thing. And um yeah, but um, it's it just, you're right. There needs to be that alignment on, and we just had, again, we had just different ideas about how it was mm -hmm. going to work. And there wasn't, neither way was wrong. Um, you know, well, that's, I, I, that, that, yeah. you just pull, let's pull that through. You're, you're spot on, man. And like, neither one of you was right or wrong. It's just, you're sharing an asset that has needs for funding and for distributions and for some sort of perception of growth. Yeah. And, Everybody that is working with other stakeholders on the capital table, on the ownership table, has to be clarified. Otherwise, all of the conflict is going to be some sort of derivative of the lack of clarity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, I know we've been going for a while. Appreciate your time today. Give us a little bit. Where can they find you and your podcast? The website, Arcona, A-R-K-O-N-A dot I-O, is the repository for everything, man. We got videos on the training, on the podcast. There's 355 episodes of the podcast. I'd say the, the, the best place to get started on that is uh, very similar to kind of what you've got on your website, Michael, is we've got a intentional growth financial scorecard. So like uh -huh. the whole, all the topics we've been talking about, 
people can get a score on how well they're viewing and running the company as a financial asset. And there's four sections in that. And so it's like 20 questions. It takes less than two minutes. And then they get a customer uh, response. And then there's four videos that where I'm walking through a case study in these videos. So mm. showing what good looks like. So it kind of gives people like, Hey, this is what's possible. It's in a spreadsheet. So it's not like hocus pocus. So I'd say that's the best place to get started. And you can find me on LinkedIn or on the website. Mm -hmm. All right. Very cool. Yeah. I'm definitely going to head over there, take that scorecard. We've got a couple of businesses and I'd really like to get an idea of where both of those are. And um, yeah, no, you're absolutely onto something here. That's a, a much needed in our, in any space, just to really understand that. Cause I think folks just do not realize where they're headed and they don't just have a plan for, for where they're supposed to be headed. And so they just kind of like go with the normal flow. And a lot of well, times it's really frustrating. I agree, Michael. And I'd say if, this is for buyers and sellers uh, mm -hmm. way of thinking about this, because for people that want to go in and buy it, you know, uh, someone that's a baby boomer that's retiring out of their farm. And like, you know, what happens is I've got the second generation people that are going in saying, helping the the seller figure out what they want so they can actually facilitate the buyout <laughs> or yeah. like so there's so like this is the, the greasing the skids on this decision making i think will make every marketplace more effective mm -hmm. absolutely all right well i appreciate your time today thanks so much ryan and um we can't wait to air this yeah thanks michael i appreciate it so there you have it another episode in the books so I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.